This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, October 21st, 2021. This week's Indigo Mac Podcast security headlines include Google removes a tried-and-true protocol from Chrome. Will you miss it? The governor of Missouri threatens legal action against a so-called hacker who found plenty wrong in the state's website source code. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg faces legal action in connection with the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And we'll talk about what was revealed at this week's Unleashed Apple event. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. When I watched the Apple event on Monday, Josh, I was thinking of you because just a couple of episodes we were talking about MagSafe charging and you were saying how much you missed the MagSafe charger on a laptop and they brought it back just for you. They did. I was so happy. I'm like, wow, Apple's listening to me. And of course... (laughs) It wasn't just me. I mean, there's a lot of people who really, really missed MagSafe, not to mention some of the other ports that they had taken away on the MacBook Pro. So I think there were a lot of people who were very, very happy about all the ports coming back. And I also saw a lot of people being very snarky about this, too. Oh, yeah, Apple's new innovation. We brought back all the ports that we previously removed. (laughs) Well... Yeah, but I mean, come on. To be fair, that's what developers want. And, you know, developers and and other uh, professionals who like the MacBook Pro really wanted those ports. So, I mean, Apple, yeah, they kind of made a mistake. It was basically an admission that maybe we shouldn't have taken away all those ports. Okay, we're going to get to the new MacBook Pro models and the new Apple Watch in a little bit, but we've got some news, first of all. I want to point out that today we're recording on October 20th. It is World Calvados Day. And you may ask, what does it have to do with Apple? Well, it's because Calvados is an Apple brandy. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying I saw this on Twitter earlier. So It's always national something or world something yeah. day every day. I don't know. Yeah. Now, Josh, are you a hacker? Do you ever view the source code of a website? Because in Missouri, the governor wants to prosecute a journalist who actually looked at the source code of a website and found that it contained a whole bunch of social security numbers. And they're calling him a hacker. Well, if that's the definition of a hacker, then yes, by all means, I am absolutely a hacker because I have looked at source code uh, several times today already. So I guess I'm hacking websites left and right. (laughs) This is actually kind of dangerous because one, it shows the um, lack of knowledge of the governor, because you would kind of want to check with someone who knows technology before you say something that's really stupid like this. But on the other hand, it does highlight the fact that people who are, and I'm going to do the air quotes here, hackers, are often looking at things And there's sometimes a bit of wiggle room whether what they're doing is good and what they're doing is bad. Before we started recording, we looked at dictionary definitions of hacker, and most of them are negative, whereas a hacker can be a good person. Most of the time, people who call themselves hackers are not like the malicious type that are like doing illegal things, even though that's kind of the most common definition. And of course, the media really plays into this. They assume, I think, that since the average person associates the word hacker with malicious intent, that they're going to keep perpetuating that and using the term in that way. I like that Merriam-Webster, of all the definitions that we looked up, um, and there's a lot. There's the Apple built-in definition, the new Oxford American Dictionary, 
And they have sort of a sub-definition that says an enthusiastic and skillful computer programmer or user, but their primary definition is a person who uses computers to gain unauthorized access to data. So basically, people who are doing things that are illegal, and several other dictionaries do as well. Merriam-Webster, to give them some nice credit here, their number one definition is one who hacks. Okay, that's good and neutral. I like that. They have an unrelated definition. And then the third and fourth definitions both are pretty decent, actually. The third is an expert at programming and solving problems with a computer, which is how a lot of people who identify as hackers uh, would identify themselves. And then fourth, a person who illegally gains access to and sometimes tampers with information in a computer system. So they put that at the very bottom of their list. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Uh, What I find interesting is more and more elected officials are showing their lack of understanding of technology. And the the fact that they don't have people around them to tell them what is going on. The tweet from the governor talks about how an individual took the records of at least three educators, decoded the HTML source code, and viewed the SSN of those specific educators. Well, hate to tell you, Governor Mike Parson, HTML source code is eminently readable. It's not like, it's not compiled like in an app where you see all those squiggles and, you know, binary numbers and stuff. Yeah. So what really seems to have happened here is that either somebody made a really, really big mistake by including social security numbers in HTML source code where they never, ever should be. Or um, maybe they had uh, an insider threat, you know, maybe somebody who worked at the company intentionally put a whole bunch of social security numbers into some source code. And uh, maybe they should be looking internally um, to decide who to prosecute on this instead of somebody who just looked at source code with two clicks. Okay, you alerted me to the fact that Google has removed FTP from Chrome. I didn't know that Google had FTP in Chrome. Uh, oh, boy. Did Safari have FTP at some time in going back? Has- you know, not that I recall. I, I know the, the big browsers all had FTP at one point, right? We had, uh, you know, back in the day, Netscape and Internet Explorer. Well, they they yeah. all basically had FTP yeah. built in. And, you know, FTP, interestingly, is not a secure protocol. It's just like HTTP, um, where there is no S, there's no secure. So that meant that any time that you were logging into an FTP uh, server, you were not logging in with a secure encrypted connection where your username and password were going to be uh, sent in any kind of encrypted way. They were just sent in plain text. (laughs) So, um, yeah, FTP is an ancient protocol. Um, nobody should be using FTP anymore. Honestly, if you were going to use FTP, you should be using either SFTP or FTPS, one of the secure alternatives to it. It is a common protocol, though, SFTP. I use it all the time to upload things to service, to download. I use Transmit. I've been using it, I think, it's been around for 25 years. I've been using it since Mac OS 9, I think. FTP is often the way you put files onto a server. So it's a pretty common thing. So I guess it's good that Chrome has removed it, but I just never really thought that they had it. I just can't remember the last time I would have expected to see FTP in a browser. Yeah, we, we don't really see it used all that much anymore for downloading things. And I think that's the main reason that it kind of hung around as long as it did in browsers, because often you would have an FTP link to download something. But uh, it's been such a long time, really, since most software was distributed through FTP services servers that um, it's just not really necessary to keep that legacy code around anymore. Yes, most software these days comes on AWS servers.
service, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Well, so you're downloading it over HTTPS, yeah. Right, but it's Amazon Web Service. So if you're downloading software, often you'll you'll see a, a dialog in Safari or whatever your browser is saying, "Are you sure you want to download from AWS dot whatever whatever?" And this is Amazon Web Services, though. It would be pretty easy to hack something and make something that looks like AWS because people don't pay attention. And the URLs that you see for downloads are often really long and complicated. So it's hard to decode them, isn't it? Well, yeah, it, it can be. Um, I, I think one thing that we've recommended to people before is that um, if you can get an app on the Mac App Store, that's ideal. If you can't get an app on the Mac App Store, maybe it needs more permission or something than, than Mac App Store apps can get. For example, if you're using antivirus software, you can't really get good antivirus software from the Mac App Store because it's not going to have access to um, be able to scan your whole drive and other things like that, that active scanning software really needs to have. Um, same thing with firewalls and other things like that. You can't get those from the Mac App Store. But for, you know, a word processor, yeah, that that's something that absolutely makes sense. It doesn't need wide access to your whole system. You just need to write some words and save them to a common folder within your user directory. So all you need is an app from the App Store. Um, so it all depends. If you can get something from the App Store, do download your apps from there. Um, if you really need to get apps from someplace else, go to the official developer's website. Uh, that's going to be the safest place rather than going to some third-party directory. Okay, Mark Zuckerberg is not having a good day today. He has been named in a lawsuit from Washington, D.C. under their Consumer Protection Procedures Act. And under this act, individuals are liable for the actions of a company if they were aware of them at the time, according to the Washington Post. Now, this is about Cambridge Analytica's collection of user data that was partly used to fuel Brexit in the UK, the US election back in 2016, etc. And they have determined that Zuckerberg participated in misleading the public and government officials about Facebook's role, that he should be held liable for his involvement in the decisions that enabled the exposure of millions of users' data, that they are certain that he had to make these decisions that no one else could have made. On the second thing is that Facebook apparently is going to rebrand the company with a new name. And this begs the question, do they think that people are going to forget it's Facebook if it's a new name? I mean, they're not going to change the Facebook service. They're going to name the company that is the umbrella company for Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and everything else, kind of like Google made the company Alphabet. It's one of those things where they're trying to rebrand. They're trying to sort of um, make it look like, oh, we're all under this big, happy company banner that's not Facebook anymore. It's not Facebook. It's okay. It's still the same thing. <laughs> it's still Facebook. And as far as this suit against Zuckerberg, we'll have to see where that goes. Um, but, uh, you know, according to these internal documents that are part of this uh, suit and, and the reason for this suit, um, they actually say that it became evident that Zuckerberg, quote, knowingly and actively, end quote, participated in each decision leading up to Cambridge Analytica's mass collection of user data and mis misrepresented how secure that data was. Um, that's the claim. So if that's true, um, then that's, you know, that's pretty serious. OK, let's talk about the Apple Watch 7. We talked about this when it was announced, and we realized that it's not a big update. And I got myself an Apple Watch 7, and I tried it out. 
and the display is a little bit bigger and the battery is a little bit better and maybe it charges a little bit faster, but there's really not that much of a difference. And I will confess for the first time, I have had every Apple Watch, except for that Series 1, that intermediate between the first and the, and the second, I have returned this Apple Watch because there's not enough of a difference. Now, I have an Apple Watch Series 6. I would strongly recommend if you only have a 5 or a 4 that this is a great update. But if you have a 6, it's really not that much of a difference. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised when I saw your headline. You wrote about this on the Mac Security blog and, and wrote a full review. And you said, Apple Watch Series 7 review... A larger display, but no essential changes. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I don't have to read that article. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I should have put something a bit more clickbaity. <laughs> no, but uh, it is an interesting article, though. I, and I do like, um, there, you've got some some good uh, uh, photographs of what the watch looks like. And I think the display actually looks really good. I like how, um, you know, nearly to the edge it is. It's still not quite all the way to the edge. You still have a little bit of a, a black frame around around the outside um but it looks good i mean especially if you're the kind of person who likes to have uh, maybe a photograph as your main watch face um this would be a really nice watch to have for sure yeah so that's the thing you only use the whole display in a few instances if you're viewing a photograph if you're looking at maps for instance you can use the whole display but otherwise watch faces are all on a black background to kind of hide that space that's around them most of them are round-ish, except for the new one, which goes all the way to the edge, which they made just because it goes all the way to the edge. So in my experience, it's very rare that you're using the whole watch display. I have a photo of looking at the Apple News app on the watch, and you can see the bottom line is kind of cut off with the curves. And now I have the font a little bit bigger than, than normal size, but you still don't you don't ever use the whole display. So if it's just if you're just using it for watch faces, you're not going to see that much of a difference. As you said, if you do want photos, then that would be a compelling reason to upgrade because you are gaining a lot more. Apple says it's about 20% more. I have a comparison of two screenshots of the watch face that I like. And you can see how much bigger the one is on the left on the 7 compared to the one on the right. But when you really look at the circle, it's barely bigger. It looks like more of the space is taken up by the complications. So it seems like when you're looking at the center of the watch, the, the heart of it in, in the circular part, there's not enough of a difference. Right. And let's be honest. I mean, how many people are really sitting there looking at photos on their watch? I mean, it's not something that the average person is, I imagine, doing very often. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to point out, I've seen a number of photos of people with the new Apple Watch, and there are a couple of female tech journalists I follow, and seeing how big the watch is on their wrist. Julie Clover of Mac Rumors, she posted a photo of the 41 millimeter, because remember, the new one is a millimeter bigger than the previous, compared to the 40, and it's really, it's too big for her wrist. And that made me think that now that we've got 41 and 45, maybe Apple's long game is to make three sizes. So let's say next year they do 38, 42, and 46, and they'll be able to have a smaller one for females with smaller wrists or for teenagers, because that's a market that's not really tapped as much as it should be. I think the 40 millimeter for a young person is really going to be big. Interesting. Yeah. So that, that could that could actually make some sense to go with a, a slightly smaller uh, display because, um, you know, that's 
they started out with 38 as on their bottom end, right? So, I mean, might as well, um, you know, go back to that form factor, if that makes sense. You know, having three sizes to cover um, a, a larger number of sizes of wrists, maybe that actually would make a lot of sense. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about Apple's new MacBook Pros, which really are for pros. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and Apple's latest Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego. World-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. Okay, so we mentioned MagSafe earlier, and that's one of the, let's say, new old features on Apple's new MacBook Pros. A quick overview of what they did is they came out with two MacBook Pros with new processors. So this is a 14-inch MacBook Pro and a 16-inch MacBook Pro. And instead of an M1X, which is what some of the rumors were suggesting the processors are called, they now have an M1 Pro and an M1 Max. So let's look at this. We've got the three, the good, better, best, the M1, the M1 Pro, and the M1 Max. So if you're a plebe, you get the M1. If you're a pro, you get the M1 Pro. And if you're, you want the luxury, the best one, the, the ultimate, you get the M1 Max. Is that how it works? Well, I guess so. I mean, the Max is, it's kind of interesting because I noticed that during the Apple event, they were very often saying and showing in charts, here's the competition and here's the M1 Pro and Max. So uh, in many scenarios, the Pro and the Max are actually going to be uh, performing similarly. And so it's really for some real edge cases that you might need the actual M1 Max processor. Yeah, it seems like the Pro is going to be for the Pro and the Max is going to be if you really need to push it like, I don't know, eight streams of 4K video and ProRes or whatever, that sort of thing. What really struck me, remember, we have a 13-inch MacBook Pro and we have iPad Pros and they're not really for pros, but here these are computers for pros. There's a real distinction here between the MacBook Air, which both you and I have, the 13-inch MacBook Pro, and these new ones with more ports, with MagSafe charging, with HDMI, with SD card slots, etc. It really makes them look like these are the computers for people who are really going to do a lot more. Now, I remember a year ago, we were discussing it and everyone else was discussing these new M1 Macs are faster, at least in single core operation, than any Mac before. Now I'm seeing people, journalists, saying, well, that 13-inch MacBook Pro is looking long in the tooth now, as if we have like a 10 times more need for computer power since last year. And I, I think Apple's come out with something that very few people need, but a lot of people are going to buy. 
I think we used to have computers that weren't fast enough to do everything we wanted as fast as we wanted. Now we have computers that are fast enough to do things we don't even want to do yet. <laughs> and it, it seems to me, these are computers that are starting at about $2,000, right? The 14-inch. So this is not an inexpensive computer. The 13-inch MacBook Pro is $1,300. That's a big difference between the 13 and the 14 and the Pro. One thing I find confusing is if you look at the configuration, there are from three to five different processor options, and we don't have any benchmarks yet. So how do I know if I need the 24 graphics cores or the 32 graphics cores or whatever? And these computers, if they're as fast as they say, well, wouldn't the 16 gigs of RAM be enough? I mean, my MacBook Air has eight gigs of RAM. My iMac has 16. That's more than enough for what I do. I, I think that Apple in making a computer for pros and, and restoring a lot of things, as you said, ports that were taken away, has come up with something that's a bit too confusing for most people. That's interesting. Um, you know, it, it's not, uh, it's been a while, I think, since Apple's been accused of having a too complicated lineup. There have been, I guess, a couple of cases here and there where they, um, they kind of have a few too many options. But generally speaking, I mean, Apple's been pretty good about keeping their options fairly limited compared to a lot of their competition, especially when it comes to computers, right? I mean, if you go to, you know, any other PC manufacturer and you look at all the different options that they have, it just goes on and on forever. And it's impossible to to really figure out what exactly you want unless you're really focused on one particular thing. Like, I just want the cheapest PC that I can get or or whatever, um, or I just want the most powerful that I can get. If you want something anywhere in between, you're going to have a really hard time figuring out what to get. So I, at, at least I think Apple is not quite uh, to that point where it's like, you know, too confusing to even really make a choice. Um, basically, I would say if you're not sure on, you know, if you're picking between Mac models at this point, you're you're probably safe with the lower end model if you really can't decide between one or the other. Yeah. And I think that these are so fast that you really have nothing to worry about. The thing is, you now have three variables. You've got the cores of the CPU, the cores of the GPU, and the neural engine. Now, the neural engine's all the same, so they really shouldn't call it out like that. But do you need 10 cores? Do you need eight cores? Do you need 24 or 32 GPU? And, and these are computers that can be expensive. I think if you max out the 16-inch MacBook Pro, it can be just over $6,000. That's eight terabytes and 64 gigs of RAM and stuff like that. But these really are for pros. These are computers that have a really extraordinary display. They've gotten rid of the touch bar and they have full-size function keys. And I think that's really good. Lots of ports. But there's also a notch. Ah, uh, yes, the notch. <laughs> the notch. Yeah. This is something that I think has bothered people for a long time, ever since it first um, appeared on the Face ID iPhones. And now we have a notch. Let's also take a look at this from a little bit different perspective, okay? Because currently, you know, all the previous MacBook Pros, and really any MacBook, you're going to have a little bit of a bezel at the top, right? Because you've you've got a camera, you've got a, a front-facing camera on, on every single Mac. You already have an entire strip across the top normally that you can't do anything with. And now they're giving you more screen space. They're just expanding it up a little bit higher. So rather than a 100% notch, now they've got a tiny notch. You could look at it that way. Right. And for design reasons, that strip is also around the sides to make it symmetrical, right? You don't just have that strip on the top. So now 
it's a narrower bezel all around and you have a notch. Now the notch takes up the space of the menu bar, so it's not that obtrusive. It remains to be seen what happens if you go full screen because in Apple's product photos, they're showing what you might see at the login screen, right? And you can see the notch. I, I would expect that if you're watching a film full screen, the notch is not going to be visible and it would just be a black bar on top. We won't know for a few days until people start receiving these. I'm not against the notch there. It bothers me more on the phone because it takes up a larger percentage of the, the screen on the phone, it's not a big deal for me. It's not a deal breaker. I do want to highlight one other thing that's interesting, though. After Apple's presentation on Monday, they changed the navigation bar on their website. Now, Apple's navigation bar, the, the list of categories that they highlight, is very important. This shows what direction the company is going in. They removed the music tab from the navigation bar. Now, one of the first sentences that Tim Cook said in this presentation, because they were starting to talk about music and the, the new AirPods, et cetera, was music has always been in Apple's DNA. And yet they've just wiped it off the header of the navigation bar. Music is now under AirPods or under only on Apple. So the new categories they have are AirPods, TV and home, and only on Apple. And I also noticed too, if you go to apple.com slash music, it now takes you to slash services, which is the only on Apple section. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit strange that they would demote music, especially because they introduced this groundbreaking 499 Siri only Apple Music voice plan. So you can only request music in this plan by a Siri. You can't use an app. Well, not only that, they, the entire event, they said, okay, this event is going to be music and Max. And it's like, yep. <laughs> and also, you know, obviously they didn't mention this, that they're going to be taking away music, but kind of funny for them to be taking that away from the navigation bar at the same time as they're talking about music in an event. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really request music by Siri because it fails so much. And particularly because I like classical music. So uh, recently it's been, I think, the 100th anniversary of the death of the French composer Camille Saint-Saëns. Hey, Siri, play some music by Saint-Saëns. I'm not going to try, but it would not play anything related to Camille Saint-Saëns because how would I say it? saint Saints because that's how you'd pronounce it in English if you didn't know. And, and even some sort of common names. I wonder how it would work with the talking heads E-Zimbra. Hey, Siri, play E-Zimbra. I'm not going to try now again, but it's always been a failure. Uh, I think the idea of having a Siri-only Apple Music plan is just for people who want music as wallpaper and want to say, Siri, play the hits, play some pop, play some dinner music, play some barbecue music, and they don't care what it's going to play. The, the other thing that's interesting is that AirPods is now a major category. Now, if you think about that, that's AirPods. You know, Apple sells other headphones. What's the name of that company? Oh, yeah. Well, right. Beats. <laughs> <laughs> right. They paid $3 billion for that company. You'd be hard-pressed to find Beats headphones on Apple's website now. If you go into accessories and then you scroll down and then you go to the headphones section, you'll see them. But they're, they've been demoted. So previously, music would take you to things like AirPods and Beats headphones. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. Cause I, so I thought maybe, okay, what if I click on AirPods? Am I going to see Beats anywhere on there? Maybe across the, the bar? Nope, not there. No, so not at you, all. Interesting. So you have to go to accessories and then scroll for a while to find Beats or, or click on right. headphones and speakers. I see. Right. And so the TV and home category is interesting because this suggests to me that they're going to be doing more with home stuff. 
they've put the HomePod Mini in with the Apple TV rather than the HomePod Mini being in music, which is where it would make sense. So it's not a music device anymore. It's a home control device, a Siri device. And it comes with three new colors, kind of like those iPod socks back in the day. They resurrected some of those colors. I, I guess that kind of makes sense. I mean, you've, you've got the Apple TV, which is a set-top box, right? And then and then the speakers, of course, integrate with the, the Apple TV as well, the HomePod Mini speakers. So I, I can kind of see how they're grouping those together. Um, but yeah, it, it does definitely indicate that Apple is uh, thinking more about, you know, home connectivity and things like that and bringing all of these sorts of things together. We've seen that at a few of the Apple events over the past year or two. You know, they've they've definitely been talking about the home more. We tend to see that set where it's like a, a, a home that's cut in half so you can see the inside of it. Um, and it seems like they're really trying to figure out ways to like better integrate with things throughout your home. They, I, I think what part of what they want to do, obviously, is replace the Amazon devices that are so popular because, um, you know, Apple sees its own products as being better than that. They see Siri as being better than that. And, um, and I think that's part of where they're going with this. They really want to replace um, you know, Amazon's ecosystem. <laughs> that was a very good pun, Josh. I didn't expect that from you. The one thing I consider, though, is that they're now talking about Apple Music with 90 million songs or 90 million tracks. Yet the fact that they've demoted Apple Music shows that Apple Music is not the future for them. It's over. They're going to get subscribers. They're not going to make a lot of money. It's going to be recurring revenue, but there's not much they can do with it. So they're just moving on. It'll always be there. Well, I hope it'll always be there, but it's not going to be something that they're going to focus on in the future because there's not as much money. They can't sell things for Apple Music. They can only sell subscriptions. And another thing I noticed um, was some of the language that was used when they were talking about music and they were saying, you know, you can ask Siri for just about anything. They said something like that when it comes to music. And I'm like, yeah, I'm <laughs> there's definitely a lot of stuff that's not on Apple Music. And uh, I, I think they know that they're never really going to get um everything in there as part of their catalog. And uh, I, I just thought it was interesting that they introduced it that way. Instead of you can get anything you want on Apple Music, it's you can get almost anything. Yeah, like I'll try later to see what happens if I ask for some music by Sensome. Okay, until <laughs> next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>